morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Wherever you are, you are listening to The Breakfast Show and you're joined by myself, Lawson, and my amazing, my wonderful, my currently unorganized, currently becoming <laughs> organized, a little bit late, a little bit incredibly awesome. I, I don't know what else to say, but we're with Monica. <laughs> How are you, Monica? Oh, I'm so good. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm <laughs> Me just, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm here, just getting it done this morning. I, 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 I kind of sympathise with where you're at. Like, for those who don't know, Mon walked in the door of the studio as the... 20 As that was playing. Um, but I, I also kind of... I, I didn't... I, I would say that... I woke up and immediately like just went to my car and got in the car. Like I had no time. I had no time to do anything else. <laughs> I probably should have done that. <laughs> because well, the reason that I did that is because I had the most crazy dream last night. I won't get in and describe it, but I will say that like I don't dream often, maybe like once a month, but it was one of those things where I woke up and I'm like, that was a movie and I was like trying to work out all the plot points and what was going because like a mystery thing it was like I was in like a mystery movie and, now and I like, know everything and, like time kept resetting and I had more information <laughs> it was like the craziest <laughs> thing ever and I, it was so in depth and I was like why is my brain like this like yeah it was. It do was you know wild. what the mystery was that you were trying to solve why did time keep resetting? Oh, uh, that, that, well, it was like time kept resetting. Was it like you were living the same day over and over again? No, it was like I kept going further and further back in time when I once I got to certain junctures. Oh, that's so cool. I was also a professional criminal. So it was like, <laughs> you know, th- there were some aspects of the dream that were uh, a bit... That were, you know, like real life. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, well, hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I woke up like... I, I woke up at my alarm and then had fallen back asleep and then woke up at the time. It's like, okay, I need to get in my car and drive here. So yeah, nice. just interesting times. Yeah. Coming up in today's show, we are going to be doing an amazing interview with Dr. John Anderson from creationministries.com as well. We are going to be having a look at some things happening in the continent of Asia and re- regarding uh, Christianity, regarding persecution, and unfortunately regarding starvation as well. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and we are going to have our first clue for the quiz. Yes, indeed. We have five quizzes this morning. Uh, each one will get you in with a chance to win the prize draw that is happening on f- Friday. Is Friday tomorrow? Wow, wow, this week just went. Well, we started on Tuesday. Yeah, that's true. We do have that public holiday. Happy birthday to the king. Um, oh, shout out. Can we, just, can we just have more public holidays? Like, can we have the <laughs> prime minister's birthday public holiday? That'd be amazing. You know, can we, can we have like... The governor general. The governor general. My birthday. Um, your, of course. <laughs> um, any, every teammate on like the winning NRL <laughs> team from that year, all of their birthdays. Let's just find... 52 people so we can have a public holiday every week. Absolutely. <laughs> One for Why every not? week of the year. Well, I mean, we already get a so public holiday every week and it's called Sabbath. Yeah, but we're basically advocating for a three-day weekend. That would be incredible. I'm not mad about a that. A four-day work week. Well, that's been a bit of a movement, right? It throughout, has. Throughout it the has. world, people yeah. are really pushing for a four-day work week. Are you into it? I mean, I think I would prefer to do radio five days per week, to be honest. Why? Be- because I get to speak to people. People more Why often. not six? Well, oh. Why not four? 
Well, because five is a good number. You know, it's the <laughs> the number I'm of sides in a pentagon. <laughs> One on a hexagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a square. Yeah, yeah sure. But, you Squares know, are so much more popular. I wouldn't mind doing a four-day work week. That'd be amazing. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair yeah. enough, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. I'm not into those. Um, was it the French that tried to institute the 10-day work week? Yeah. Yeah, super not into that. That's no, no, silly. No, no. Well, it's just a 10-day week. They they wanted to make the week metric because oh, the week... That what they were tra- I thought they were trying to eradicate the Sabbath. Well, yes, that was a huge part of it because the week, the only origin for a seven-day week is the Bible. Amen. Like, it's a religious yeah. institution. There's mm-hmm. no, like, 365 days or 360 days, you know, the how they would it's calculate all years. It's seasons and yeah, stuff, yeah. absolutely, but... In terms of the week, the week, like we don't know where it comes from, yeah. other than God's word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we do have to give people a quiz. So, oh yeah, yes, <laughs> we were doing the quiz, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tomorrow we're going to do the dra- the grand prize draw, which is the book from Jennifer Jilschwer's uh, uh, Thirteen mm. Days to Is It Joy, Gladness, Happiness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the qu- the first quiz goes like this: In what year, after planting a tree, were the Israelites allowed to eat its fruit? Mm-hmm. Man, I could not wait this long to eat fruit. I love fruit. Yeah. In what year after planting a tree were the Israelites allowed to eat its fruit? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you'll go into the draw uh, to for that book. That is 13 Steps to Joy by Jennifer Jill Schwerzer. An incredible book. I want to be more happy. I want to be closer to God, and I want to be blessed, and that's exactly what this book is all about. So zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, Monica. Yes. What is happening in the world of positively different? I'm news? going to tell you something that I've been wanting to talk about for days now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is so so cool. So scientists have been amazed by sighting an extremely rare jellyfish mm. that only ever seen once before. Um, so this is definitely a story where you need to whip out your device and Google this for a picture because I am going to try and describe it, but I am describing a jellyfish, and as you can imagine, they're pretty hard to describe. So they've been left amazed. Um, the team of experts spotted the animal during an expedition by the Ocean Explorer Trust, which mm. is a non-for-profit uh, dedicated to marine explanation and re- uh, exploration and research. Uh, they captured a video with <laughs> some pretty far, funny commentary. And uh, it shows this bizarre-looking creature slowly making its way along uh, the depths of the ocean. And uh, the experts were absolutely uh, enthralled by it. Uh, I am going to try and describe it, but I'm not going to lie. It's going to be pretty hard. So imagine like a tennis ball-sized shaped jellyfish, right? Mm. But then uh, it's tentacles. There's only three tentacles, yeah? And they sort of first come up out of the top of the jellyfish instead of the bottom of the jellyfish. And they first sort of come together, almost like someone's tying their hair in a ponytail on top of their head. And then the three immediately then branch out and they sort of look like a, almost like a tripod, like a stand for the rest of the jellyfish to stand on. So it's almost it looks like the ball is suspended between the three three tentacles that are coming that out the top of its head. the most wild thing I've ever heard. It's so bizarre. Like, I'm going to show you a picture. Look at yeah, that. Yeah, please. Look at that. Did that look like what I described? Oh, that is... That looks... Like some Otherworldly. Out that, of space, right? But also, it looks otherworldly, but it's legs that are coming out of its head, which... 
imagine that. Its legs that are coming out of the top of its head look so thin and skinny and mm-hmm. scary. This mm-hmm. looks like a horror movie. That is yeah. crazy. <laughs> I guess it does. Um, you can actually, when you watch the video, you can actually hear the scientists. They're like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. I have no idea what it is. They're all like, <laughs> they're all like losing their minds. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was uh, spotted deep in the deep and remote uh, Pacific Ocean, uh, 130 miles from the nearest landmark, which was the Kingman Reef, mm. uh, which is about 4,700 miles away from Australia. So I think that's like, what, 7,700-ish yeah, yeah, kilometres sure. off the coast of Oz. Um, it was classified as undescribed, even though I've described it, uh, because it has no name or detailed description by any researchers. The species I've only ever seen once before on a 2015 expedition uh, by the Ocean Exploration Trust. And, um, yeah, so it has these three long tentacles sprouting at an odd angle from the top of its head. It looks like a parasite. It, do- it does, it right? It looks like this ancient animal that is under the ocean that if it escapes from under the ocean will, like, attach <laughs> itself to people and turn them into zombies. <laughs> that is so gross. It does look but- like a pop- Apocalyptic. It is. That's what. So they've only ever observed one, one of these. Yeah, one of these before, back in 2015. Wow. Yeah, and so they they actually believe that this um it might prey on other jelly-like animals, such as other jellyfish and swimming sea cucumbers, because they're trying to like ascertain how it uses those tentacles, and they reckon mm. it might use it to capture it and then sort of like stuff it in its mouth. If they're if the mouth is where they assume it is, this is horrific. Yeah, so the, <laughs> this <yeah>. is awesome. <laughs> so, so the research scientist, Dr. Dougal Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, he's with the Japan Agency for Earth Marine Science and Technology, commented on the creature's strange tentacle, saying, "This is an ex- is extremely rare for a jellyfish, as they are normally radial splittable into air quotes pizza slices with even rather than odd numbers." They hold the tentacles in front of them as they swim so that the tentacles come into contact with their large gelatinous prey before the bow wave of the water they push before them as they swim reaches it and it senses this water movement and captures a kind of stealth predation to speak. Wow. So to speak. This is so cool, yeah. So the new species is believed to be part of the Bathychorus genus, uh-huh. uh, which does not match any other kind of species due to its brown colour. So at this point, it's really anyone's guess <laughs> what that it is. is yeah, insane. yeah, I I absolutely love it. It's uh, it's such a it's such a cool looking. It's creepy but cool. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to tell people this is my favorite animal or something. <laughs> and they're gonna be like, "What are you talking?" About? And it hasn't even got a name yet because I haven't yeah, figured out what it it's is. Like, wait, you haven't heard of the Bathychorus genus? And like, like, Unidentified no. brown jellyfish. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, check it out, dude. I feel I feel like this could become like some kind of like meme or something of just <laughs> abs- just it's just so shocking. I, I am. I don't know. It just makes me feel uneasy. I don't, yeah. I, I don't really feel that way. You don't want to meet it. It's kind of like the same feeling that you get around like seeing a snake, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. feel like really uneasy. You see this jellyfish. Yeah. Normally you see jellyfish and like, oh, they're cool. Unless they're like a box jellyfish and it's like, okay, they're dangerous and poisonous and I whatnot. I hate seeing them in real life. Uh, yeah. As in like out in the wild, I should say. But yeah. I really like seeing them in um, like aquariums because they sort of look... I don't know, calm and peaceful. I just blob along. Yeah. Especially, like, have you seen the uh, the Sydney Aquarium, I think, where they have them in a big sort of tube-shaped um, aquarium? Mm. And, uh, and then they sort of light them up in different colours and so they look like pink blobs or orange blobs and it's actually, yeah. Oh, that's cute. And then they play, like, music and it's... I remember <laughs> being little and living here in Lake Macquarie and, you know, going out 
with my dad on the boat mm. and we would be going along slowly and looking out the, there would just be patches of jellyfish that yeah. would surface oh. and you would look out the side of the boat and it was literally all around you was just like Ooh. on top at the top of the water was just jellyfish, like hundreds of jellyfish. Mm. Um, we call them blubbers. Like, oh, look at the blubbers. <laughs> and um, Did you touch them? You could. Oh, yeah. You could. You could touch them. And I, like, I remember scooping one up in my hand. Uh, and be like, ooh, that's cool. And then I found out what box jellyfish were, and then I was like, not game to ever touch a jellyfish. Yeah, ever I almost again, died I from a box jellyfish attached when I was nineteen. Attack, but um, it hit you. Yeah, it got, it got in my swim front, but it was a baby one, like a really, really, really tiny one, and uh, it was a miracle. A lot of prayer from my church family, and I survived. But you went yeah. to hospital? Uh, no, my brother was a paramedic, and so he, yeah. He- that is a ma- that is incredible. Okay, and I, I'm still okay with them now. So I can't, I can't believe I haven't heard this story. Hey, you're listening to the breakfast show. Let us know what, what's your brushes with death. Apparently that we're that we're having. You're listening to the breakfast show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are going to have our next quiz. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, finish this proverb. Where there is no vision, the people blank. Oh. Where there is no vision, the people blank. Oh, I was about mm. to say it. I was yeah, about, it's so hey, hard not to say it. Hey, if you know where this is, 0491 or you know what that word is. You know what the blank is. Hey, if you give us chapter and verse without looking it up, we'll, you know, we'll throw in something a little bit extra. Will we now? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm promising that we will. But hey, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Finish this proverb: where there is no vision, the people blank. And of course, the prize for this week: thirteen steps to joy by Jennifer Jill Schwerzer. All about how we can increase in our happiness, in our blessedness, how we can grow closer to God and be having an amazing experience with Him and with our communities. She's actually written uh, quite a few thirteen weeks to. I think it's like forgiveness and healing and stuff. She's done, she's done a good job of them. So, yeah, they're really good books. Yeah, in 2018, she actually came to Australia and presented at our big camp. Mm-hmm. And she was actually just presenting some personal life stories and, yeah. and trauma and then, you know, making lessons out of it. And I remember being so blessed by it. I, I, yeah. I was like, you know, all of us just go through stuff. 2018, so I was 19 turning 20 and I was... Just like I'd become a Christian, I was trying to like work out my life, and you that's know, when I met you at that camp. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. 2018 big mm-hmm. camp. Mm-hmm. No, no, I met you before then, surely. Oh yeah, actually, maybe once or twice. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I met you before then, but you were there, and I remember her speaking and just being like enamored by just everything that she sh- was sharing about her experience in life and how it affected her and how she got through it. I was like, I need this because I feel like I've been through these things as well. So Did such you read a the blessing. Books? No, well. I, I watched a lot of her like online oh, lectures yeah, 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 yeah. and whatnot because she's also yeah, you know very a, prolific yeah. you know has a media ministry I as well. I used to work with her. Do you know that? That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Man, you, Mon, you, you've done everything. <laughs> you've know. been almost killed by jellyfishes <laughs> and worked with famous authors. Oh, whatever. Oh, that is that is incredible. Hey, you're listening to the breakfast show again. That number zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We are going to talk about things happening in Asia, and I mentioned. Yeah, what is going on? I mentioned uh, North Korea and Malaysia. Oh. We'll talk about Malaysia in a little bit. Hopefully, I want to talk about Malaysia yesterday. Didn't get to it. We will hopefully talk about North Korea now, well, Malaysia in a bit, but North Korea, firstly, first and foremost, North Korea is a country that I check in with every couple of months just to Mm -hmm. see what the movements are there. Obviously, 
North Korea is a very secretive state. The Hermit Kingdom? We know very little about it except for rumors because it is by far one of the most isolationist nation. It is it is the foremost isolationist nation in the whole world. We we know so little and information about it is very heavily regulated and controlled and information that we get back is usually as a result of some kind of espionage, you know, mm-hmm. whether we have contacts in North Korea who will report to the media or something like that. What I do know is that Voice of the Martyrs, which is an organization that we talk to a bunch here on Faith FM, has been doing awesome work in North Korea, getting Bibles to those people, checking in with those people and seeing how they're going and and being able to try and to share the gospel in North Korea. There are Christians in North Korea somehow by God's grace. And I think after what I talk about today, we'll definitely need to, highlight the fact that we need to pray for North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interview has just come out. So this is from the BBC with contacts that they have in North Korea, essentially on the situation and the state of the country since 2020. It was much harder to get information out of North Korea since 2020 because of the fact that it locked itself down. You know, an already locked down country went into further lockdowns as a result of COVID. Now, some of like North Korea's missteps and some things that we do know about North Korea is that it is an a, like an isolationist country. We don't really know the state of what's going on there, but simultaneously it's also terribly mismanaged and despite having a population that's the size of Australia, it has a GDP that is the amount of Newcastle. Oh wow. So so 26 million people live there, same as Australia, but Newcastle, the seventh biggest city in Australia, which only has like what? I think less than a million people here. It has that is the entire GDP of the country because it doesn't interact with the rest of the world in in trade and whatnot. And we can actually see a trade history of North Korea. We can see that they uh, at some point started to build a more capitalist open market system. But then when people started to get rich off that, the government shut it down and they were like, uh, nah. So in North Korea, super interesting place, wild stuff going on there. But these interviews have come out from the BBC that has showed that since that lockdown in 2020, the country has stayed locked down and there have been some really radical policy changes that have gone on there that has led to just terrible and dire outcomes and consequences. So one of the big ones is that um, this lockdown has stopped all foreign media from coming into the country, even like music and like anything that could get into the country from outside of North Korea has stopped coming in. Um, And there's this, this restriction of stuff coming into North Korea hasn't just uh, been with media, but because of COVID, because of restrictions and lockdowns, and obviously, you know, people in North Korea sharing their sentiments of like being scared of the disease and like, oh, you know, if we get it, because there wasn't much information about it either. It was just this disease that the whole rest of the world was getting. So they were like, oh man, we we don't want to get that. Uh, but simultaneously, um, famine also hit North Korea during this time. And there were stories coming out from these interviews that the BBC did of people starving to death mm. in the capital of North Korea. Oh, wow. So Pyongyang is is the capital. And obviously, you know, the capital of any nation is usually, um, yeah, it's usually like the you know most wealthy and um, usually where things are the most sorted out. It depends. Like I think of, well, the capital of Australia here is Canberra, but Canberra is not much of a capital city. No offense to my Canberra people. I like, I like Canberra. Canberra is a... 
an okay place. I have some gripes with Canberra being that it's, you know, cold and, and whatnot. But, like, you would say, like, okay, the biggest population centre in Australia is Sydney. And, yes, you know, there's homeliness, homelessness in, in Sydney and whatnot. But it's – no one is, like – like, families aren't starving to death in the mm. middle of Sydney. No. And that's what's taking place in Pyongyang. There was this one testimony that came out and says, we knocked on their door of, and this is the door of their neighbours who they were delivering water to, but nobody answered. Uh, when the authorities went inside, they found them dead. Um, and all of, you know, these different families and all these people are, yeah, just starving to death. So there's a result of famine. People aren't able to get food because the production of food and the importation, um, the importing of food has really slowed down since COVID. And so people are just dying and can, but then it's like, okay, well, how is the, the government, how is Kim Jong-un responding to this? Um, increasing funding for their missile program, which currently they seek around, they sink around 500 million USD per year into, into their ballistic missile and nuclear missile program, which there was recently headlines that uh, a ballistic missile that they were testing in North Korea had like flown over the ocean that was beside South Korea and like, Air sirens had gone off and whatnot. But essentially, the situation in North Korea is so dire. People are dying. And I think all we can do, firstly and foremost, is pray. And pray that Mm -hmm. God will work in this situation. But secondly as well, there are different organizations who are helping North Korea. I mentioned Voice of the Martyrs as well. Also, Daily NK is working to contact people in North Korea and hear about their situations and, you know, help people flee and defect from North Korea. The situation there is super dire. So please, I, I, I would very much encourage you if you feel, a, you know, uh, um, you know, compelled to, to help the situation in any way, in any way, you know, means necessary by donating, donating to Voice of the Martyrs or whatever it may be, go down those routes. But first and foremost, pray for these people because they do need help and they need god and i I think that man jesus needs to come soon when i see a situation like this i'm like wow these people are in such a dire state that the only thing that could give them hope and relief is is christ coming and i think in a situation where so many people haven't been reached with the gospel as well i think we can foresee a future in which the gospel penetrates North Korea in a powerful way. So I think it's preparing for that as well, which organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors are trying to do. Oh, man, I still didn't get to talk about Malaysia, but hey, such is life. Uh, pray for North Korea and and share with us your perspective of, of what's taking place there and persecution in North Korea and Asia, Asia and around the world. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are going to have our next clue for the quiz. Next quiz. This is quiz number three for today. Uh, how does the author of one, First John often, most often refer to his readers? How does the author of First John most often refer to his readers? Ah, okay. If you know this one, then you will go into the draw to win 13 Steps to Joy by Jennifer Jill Schwerzer. Again, that number 0491-064-669. We have come to our interview time for today. And on the phone, we have Dr. John Anderson from Creation Ministries. Are you there with us, Dr. John? I am, Lawson. I'm right here. Oh, amazing. We are absolutely stoked to have you on the show this morning and to be talking about everything creation and science, uh, the intersection of two different subjects that 
I've talked to I've talked to people in the secular world, and they think wouldn't very much intersect, but that we as Christians very much see um, having an amazing relationship, which you guys are all about sharing and promoting and teaching on. Yes, well, that, that, that's right. And, and look, uh, uh, I'd like to, just like to thank you. It's a, a real privilege for us to have an opportunity, first of all, to uh, advise your listeners of the existence of Creation Ministries mm. and to explain what we're all, all about. And uh, any listeners who are interested can go and check us out at our website, which is creation.com, a mm. very, very easy one to uh, remember. Absolutely. So, Creation.com, head there. But we are talking this morning just about creation science itself as a concept. You know, we've we've had a fair few interviews on this topic looking at you know, the flood and uh, with, you know, different people who have come on the show um, and talking about, you know, biology and whatnot. But creation science itself, what exactly are we trying to do and to achieve through that? Well, I suppose we uh, we have to uh, look at really what the purpose of, uh, of Creation Ministries is all about, mm. and uh, our purpose really is to uh, to uh, ensure that uh, people realise that the Bible is a true history book from the very first verse. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it talks about uh, creation of the world and, uh, and of course, the, uh, the secular world doesn't believe in the creation of the, our world or the life in it. You know, they believe it all started with a big bang and that life evolved over billions of years. But, of course, that's not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that uh, God actually created the world. Mm-hmm. and uh, He created all the uh, the life in it. The, uh, the life in it certainly didn't evolve according to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so what we, uh, we do at Creation Ministries is that we have a look uh, particularly at what the uh, secular world says and uh, and we look at uh, the flaws in that description, and there are many. Mm-hmm. And of course, not only do we look at the uh, the, the flaws in the uh, evolutionary story, we then uh, present the evidence that absolutely supports the creation story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the evidence for the creation story is absolutely massive. But uh, just so that your listeners uh, recognise the uh, enormity of the difference between the uh, the two scenarios, I mean, the secular world believes that the uh, the Earth has been around for uh, billions of years. Well, of course, the Bible doesn't say that. It says we've only been around for about six thousand years. Now, I mean, to uh, to most people, that's a. Uh, uh, I mean that really comes as a uh, huge shock. And uh, it's very important for us to be able to authenticate what the, the Bible says, particularly from mm. the point of view of, uh, of, say, evangelism in young people. Oh, absolutely. They have been so heavily indoctrinated with the, uh, the evolution and millions and billions of years story but they find it very, very difficult to uh, to get their head around this uh, this short time frame. Uh, time frame. Mm-hmm. But it it really is so important because, uh, and it's important to be able to demonstrate that uh, the evidence supports that time frame, because uh, if you uh, if you undermine any part of the uh, the scripture, then you undermine the whole. Because the uh, the Bible really stands or falls 
on its uh, its whole truth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that really is uh, what we're on about at Creation Ministries. We look to demonstrate the flaws in the evolutionary argument and the uh, scientific support for the creation story. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that really, I suppose, in essence, is what Creation Ministries is on about. I would love to ask you some questions about creation science. But before, the questions about particularly that. Now, from some Christian perspectives, the creation narrative of the book of Genesis, it can they, they look at it from a, what's the word, like a, a metaphorical perspective that it's a story that doesn't actually represent the, you know, it, it's written in metaphors or it's it's, a, it's symbolic um, of potentially a, you know, millions and millions of years evolutionary process. Um, what? Why would you then be so gung-ho to say to to say no 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 this is a literal and a real story rather than harmonize with the view of evolution well i suppose you've got to look at the uh, the literature itself in the uh, in the first place mm. because we we'd all be agreed that the uh, the bible is predominantly a uh, a history book it's the history book of the uh, the jewish people and of course sure. the uh, the saviour who came from the Jewish people. And when you look at the uh, the books in the Bible that are pretty much clear history, like, say, the books of Kings, for example, mm. and you look at the, uh, the literature in which that's described, then the uh, describing literature in the book of Genesis is exactly the same. It's mm. not metaphorical uh, type words. It, mm. uh, it reads as history. Mm. Now, of course, uh, because the um, you know, even the uh, the Christian world has been heavily influenced by the uh, the secular world, uh, e- even the uh, Christian theologians do find it hard to get around the uh, uh, the possibility that the uh, time frame is so short. Mm. But uh, but really, the uh, the evidence is quite consistent uh, mm. with it. But you see, uh, in, in a way, I, I guess of um, I won't say uh, appeasing the world, but recognizing that uh, the world is uh, not entirely stupid. You know, they they, sure. they they do have reasons for their belief. Even the uh, theological world has tried to um, uh, to, appease, uh, to not appease, no, to uh, come to terms with the world by uh, by looking at the uh, Book of Genesis again and uh, and seeing if they can harmonise what it says with what the uh, the world believes. Yeah. And uh, the most common belief, I suppose, these days is uh, what they call the uh, the framework hypothesis, and that is. The, uh, the six days of creation don't actually represent uh, six 24-hour days. Mm. They are just a, uh, a theological framework in, into which uh, uh, the creation story is woven. Mm. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, that uh, to... Uh, put forward that explanation, you really need, <laughs> need to be a theological contortionist. But... Mm. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, that's uh, that's what they uh, they do say. But when you look at those six days of uh, of creation, and you look at the uh, the way they are described, uh, they really do read as twenty four hour days. 
And I, I you know, one of the principles of uh, scriptural exege- exegesis, I suppose, is that you have to compare scripture with scripture. Absolutely. And, mm. and when we go to uh, uh, another story, like say uh, Exodus twenty, where uh, the uh, the law is given to Moses and the Israelite people. I think you have to put yourself in the uh, uh, the position of the people on that day because that was a, uh, a, a most astonishing day. We have millions of people standing around and they heard the voice of God mm. directly to them. Uh, they, they were terrified. There, there was an earthquake going on. The mountain was trembling. I mean, it must have been an absolutely astonishing day. And they heard the voice of God say for uh, when he was speaking about the uh, day of rest for them, the Sabbath, he said, on the seventh day you will rest because in six days I made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. Mm. Now, you know, for the voice of God to actually say that to millions of people, I don't see how anybody really can get away with saying that the uh, the days of creation are, uh, are not six literal days. Mm, absolutely, and it's it's something I I just uh, finished a unit. I'm I'm studying theology at the moment. I just finished a unit on you know uh, analyzing the Torah and mm-hmm. yeah, looking at that account of Genesis and the language, the verbiage that it uses does indicate wholeheartedly that it's giving a historical account in regards to, you know, how it is that the world is created in six days. You know, there's there's nothing that could be said that, oh, this points to it being symbolic. In fact, there's no Hebrew um, scholar or linguist who would point that out and, and would stand on that hill at all because it's just impossible from the language. But simultaneously, it's like, okay, so we're absolutely sure that the Bible is pointing to a six-literal-day creation. Now, the implications of that being true, um, that it wasn't, you know, a, 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 a periods of millions of years in which evolution was taking place that was represented by six days, but rather six literal days in which God created. Obviously, that's hugely important to our understanding of how it is that sin affects this world. And so as Christians, we would then be compelled to prove that right, Correct. Well, well, that's that's right, and uh, I, I don't think, uh, as you rightly say, when you look at the uh, the, the language, uh, God speaks of there was evening and there was morning, the first day, and so on. I mean, the uh, the language is pretty clear that uh, it is uh, they they are to me six twenty four hour days, mm. but but then when you look at the uh, the other history of um, with those early chapters of Genesis, particularly the, uh, the, the flood of Noah. Mm. Now, uh, the secular world does not believe in a worldwide flood. Mm. And, and so that uh, Christians who don't take the, those early chapters uh, absolutely literally ha- have to explain the flood by calling it maybe a, a, a local flood. But again, when you have a look at the uh, the language that is used in uh, those chapters six to nine of Genesis, they are all encompassing words. You know, uh, it talks about all, every. You know, the, there's just no room for yeah, anything absolutely. but a uh, but a, a global flood. 
And when we uh, we look around our world, we see absolutely massive evidence for that uh, global flood. Mm. Uh, we, we see uh, 75% of the world's surface uh, covered in this enormous amount of uh, sedimentary rock. <laughs> mm. Where did it come from? And uh, logically, you, know, you can see that it did come from uh, a, a global flood, and it looks the same wherever you go on the face of the earth. So to call those uh, deposits local floods, you would have to have thousands and thousands of similar events all over the world uh, producing the, uh, the the layers of sediment. Now, uh, it makes much more sense to uh, to see that a global flood is the uh, the most logical explanation, mm. particularly when you've got a book like the Bible that describes it in pretty reasonable detail. Mm. So, I, I I can't see how uh, how any segments of uh, Christianity can get away from that global flood. Not only that, of course, when you have a look at those sediments, what do we find in them? We find all of these remains of uh, dead animals, mm. and uh, they're all mixed up together. They don't have that uh, that uh, nice sequence that you see diagrammatically in science textbooks. It just doesn't look like that. Mm. You know, they're, they're all jumbled up together. And, uh, I mean, the Bible tells us that every, uh, every land-dwelling air-breathing creature that uh, wasn't on the ark with Noah uh, was killed in the flood and buried. Mm. <laughs> and, and so uh, common sense tells you that um, everything that we read in the Bible is absolutely consistent with what we observe yes. in real life. And, and that's, that's what we're on about, of course, at Creation Ministries. We mm. see that we say that when you uh, when you honestly look at the uh, appearances of things that you find, then they are quite consistent with what the Bible says. Now, you can never say that uh, science proves the Bible to be correct. All you can say is that the scientific evidence is consistent with what the sure. Bible and uh, uh, in our view, it is not consistent with what the secular world believes. Mm, absolutely. Now, these are fantastic points. I think this is a great place to start for people who are going on a journey of trying to understand, oh, well, can the Bible be harmonized with what we observe? Because this is the, the most important thing. The Bible doesn't harmonize with evolution. It doesn't harmonize with a perspective of deep time. But does it harmonize with what we observe? I guess that is what creation science is trying to do and that's what creationministries.com oh, creation.com is achieving so that, that's really incredible hey dr john anderson we're going to continue on with our show thank you so much for joining us this morning on faith fm thanks for being a part of the faith fm family join our community on facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM